How's it going, everybody? Aloha and welcome back to the Brook House for another edition of Bo's Football Final here at KHON2.com and anywhere you download podcasts. I'm your host, Rob DeMello, and joining me, we got the big little bro, former University of Hawaii offensive lineman R.J. Hollis. And R.J., the inexperienced University of Hawaii football team, got the experience of a lifetime this past weekend as the Bows went up to the big house before 100,000-plus strong in Ann Arbor, Michigan. They walked away with a 56-10 loss to the fourth-ranked team in the country, a team that lived up to the hype and then some a very impressive Michigan squad there. As the Rainbow Warriors struggled in the first half, they showed a lot in the second half. And so there's a lot for us to talk about here on Bo's Football Final as we look ahead at the 0-3 University of Hawaii football team now returning home to take on Duquesne this weekend. But a lot to unpack in regards to the Rainbow Warriors road trip to the Midwest. But before we get started, here's what head coach Timmy Chang had to say following his University of Hawaii football team loss. To the Wolverines. They're the uh, number four team in the country, you know, for a reason. And I, and I thought they did. I thought they, you know, they thought their coach well and their personnel was really good. And, and, um, you know, that, that first half, you know, it, it, they, you know, they, they could run the ball, they could throw the ball, they could play action. Uh, quarterback made plays on the move. I mean, it was it was a tough it was tough to, for us to stop. How important will this this film be for your guys' development, where they can see themselves going against some of the best talent in the country? Huge, huge, huge. It's um, it's it's it's, it's what the standard is, right? If we want to be and reach our goals as a top twenty-five team that has a chance to compete for champions and win championships, uh, this is the measuring stick, and they can look at themselves where they where they did well, and then where they failed. You know, we can all look in the mirror. All right, that was head coach Timmy Chang following the loss 56-10 to to Michigan this past Saturday in Ann Arbor, Michigan. So first things first, RJ, uh, before we start delving into uh, the, the nuts and the bolts of this ball game, which was played out on the Big Ten Network, your biggest takeaway from this Rainbow Warrior experience of going up and taking on the fourth-ranked team in the country? Uh, I think it was a great learning experience from them. You did see some small gradual improvement. And then I think in the second half, you started to see a lot of the butterflies kind of leave the team. As you said, that first half was very difficult. It was a lot of quick scoring for Michigan on the offense. It was very difficult for University of Hawaii offense to get moving at all. And I think a lot of that came with inexperience and butterflies. But I feel like in that second half, when they were able to put up 10 points, when you did get the big run by Tylen Hines, I think they started to feel a little bit more more comfortable in the skin they're in. And I think that's probably the best thing they can take from this game is that we've already faced Goliath, you know, kind of head on. So as we get into these Mountain West and more evenly matched games, I think facing a team as talented as Michigan will, will come to pay off in the long run. Well, let's go over some of the numbers here of this Rainbow Warrior loss to the Wolverines of Michigan. Braden Shager, it was announced earlier in the week that he was going to make the trip but was not going to start as he deals with an undisclosed injury. Joey Yellen then got the start. Jake Farrell was going to be the backup, or he was the backup for this game. Uh, a lot of people anticipated that perhaps he would see some time, but Yellen played quarterback from start to finish here for the Bows. He would go 13-36 to 36 for 113 yards passing. His longest completion of the night was 21 yards. Uh, the running game uh, was a little bit of a focal point here for the Rainbow Warriors, and you could look at it in 
multiple ways as far as, hey, the offensive line is the strongest unit on this team. And so they wanted to continue and try to establish the run here for this season moving forward. But then also you look at it as they needed this clock to go. And so uh, during the game, I, I saw a lot of people um, uh, messaging me, asking me about, you know, certain play calls and why aren't they throwing the ball and they should be chucking it around the yard. And, uh, you know, when you're playing against a team like Michigan, uh, as you are trying to get yourself up the field, you are also trying to make sure that this clock does not stop throughout this entire ball game, because then that's when things get really ugly. And so they had a, a combined 32 carries for 148 yards as a running backs unit. That's over four yards per carry. You'll take that every day uh, throughout the season, and especially against the fourth-ranked team in the country. Tylen Hines had uh, the most yardage, 75 yards on eight carries, had a 54-yard touchdown. Dedrick Parson, 12 carries for 28 yards. Jordan Johnson goes five carries for 25 yards. And Najee Bryant-Lely uh, goes 18 yards on his six carries Receiving-wise, James Phillips was the leading receiver, three catches for 33 yards. Chucky Hines had three catches for 14 yards. And then when you look at the defensive effort by the University of Hawaii, Panay Pavihi had six total tackles. That was leading the team. Verdell Edwards with five tackles and an interception. John Tuitopu had one sack in this game, uh, one of two tackles for loss in the ball game. Blessman Ta'ala, the other player with the sack and therefore tackle for loss. And remember, those are the two, the first two sacks of the season for the University of Hawaii football team. And so RJ Hollis, as we start looking ahead um, or, or looking back at this game, I think the biggest outcry heading into the week was that people understood the task at hand. There were over 50-point underdogs to Michigan back in 2016. Uh, you were a part of a team that went up there and lost 63-3, to uh, and uh, but got better because of the experience. So people just wanted to see improvement. They wanted to see little glimpses of how can this University of Hawaii football team show the fan base that they're getting better as this season goes on here at 0-3. And, and so uh, that's my first question to you is, did you see improvement from this Rainbow Warrior football team? And I know sometimes it's hard to identify especially when you're losing 42 nothing at halftime. Michigan's doing everything they want to do in the first half with their best players on the football field. But did you see any improvement out of this Bose team? Uh, I, I did. And I think, like you said, it's kind of hard when you have that big of a point spread to point out things that you're improved on. But just a few things, namely the one penalty. Four quarters, only one penalty after last week having over 100 penalty yards, which is unloading a clip in your own foot. I think that was absolutely huge. Um, zero turnovers. So, you know, there was the 13 of 36 passing, which is a concern and getting over four yards of carry is a positive, but I think the biggest positive, no turnovers. That was a very aggressive defense. They had some ball hawking DBs, probably another reason that Timmy Chang didn't want to just throw it all over the yard and keep your defense out there for 35 minutes out of the game. And then you finally got some sacks from your D line. So I think that's huge too, especially when you look at the fact that it was two interior D linemen and Tui Tupo and Blessman Ta'ala, which is not really normal. You, you would expect it to be, you know, a Jonah Kahaha by Welch, uh, Matayo Sully, a Showtime Jones, one of those defensive end outside linebacker types, but seeing the two big fellas able to create that pressure from the interior – 
along with the no pen one penalty, excuse me, and no turnovers. I think that right there is things that even if you aren't an optimistic viewer of football, you have to take those and know that's a sign of improvement, especially when you look at playing a much better opponent this week than last week when you did give yourself 100 penalty yards. You know, in, in the essence of the question, I mean, obvious, where did this team improve? I mean, that that's it right there, obviously, right, it is discipline. And that's what Timmy Chang, I mean, he hit that, that nail over the head a thousand times in practice this week as far as you are not going to be able to accomplish the things you want to accomplish if you are preventing yourself from winning football games. Forget being, uh, you know, on the, the losing end of the talent matchup when you when you match up paper to paper, roster to roster. Uh, if you're doing it to yourself, that has nothing to do with what the other guys have on the field or what the other guys are doing. And to go from 100 plus penalty yards one week to one penalty for 10 yards the next week in a place that the noise was an issue, the nerves was an issue, and, and for his ball club to not inflict those self-inflicted wounds uh, definitely is a big piece moving forward as far as how can this team get out of their own way as they are experiencing uh, a lot of the things for the first time here as a very young ball club. All right, uh, we, we talked about uh, the running game for this University of Hawaii football team, and obviously anyone who's listening right now, obviously – the score was 56 to 10. Michigan blew out the University of Hawaii football team, right? So don't make no mistake. You know, we're not just focusing on the positives. This isn't one of those situations, but it is, you know, the, the I, I think the focal point of this, and I brought this up before, and maybe, you know, in fact, maybe we'll talk about that first as far as, you know, this is a game that you can walk away having gotten knocked out yet, you learn from, right? Because there's a big difference, right? I mean, let, let's look at like a combat sport, right? In MMA, uh, if, and you go up against the baddest dude, uh, right. or let's look at boxing, kickboxing, whatever it is you want to look at. And it, with, with the thought process of, hey, I'm going to be better because I'm facing better competition. All right, that's how I get better is, is facing the best of the best. Now, if you get knocked out in three seconds, you didn't get better, right. all right? But the game of football allows you, I mean, there, there's nothing. That, that, that clock is going to go to zeros, and that's the only way you can get out of this steel cage, right? I mean, there's no right, ending right, this. Right. You, can't, you can't say like, hey, you know what, second quarter, like let's just uh, let's, uh, let's throw in the towel. We're you're going to have to play this game out. And so in 2016, as I mentioned earlier, 63-3 to loss to a Michigan team, yet I remember at the time, Nick Rolovich, the head coach, the players. I mean, R.J. Hollis was interviewed that week and, and asking, okay, how did this team get better from that beatdown, right? And moving forward, this is a team that ended up being better than what people thought they were going to be that season and going to a bowl game. And, and in fact, the week after Michigan played an FCS opponent and UT Martin almost lost that game, but came back right. and, and fought and won. And so how do you think this team gets better because of this loss in the big house. Uh, I think you hit it on the head when you were first doing your breakdown is just facing that Goliath, facing that team that's so tough. You know, you walk into it knowing what's going to happen. Make no mistake about it. When we took the field in 2016, I don't think anybody was saying, oh, yeah, we're going to beat Michigan. We knew what time it was. But at the end of the day, 
like you said, it's four full quarters. So even walking into this loss, you know, you can't escape it. We can't leave at halftime. We can't leave at three quarters. Even if there's a running clock, we still have to play all four quarters. And I think having to deal with just that uphill battle, walking into a game, it gives you a, a not necessarily a confidence, but a reassurance that, hey, I've like I said earlier, dealt with Goliath for four quarters before. What should it be to me to go face a tough team like San Diego State when I've already faced a team as tough as Michigan? My senior year, the year that you're referring to, we lost 63-3 to to Michigan. We also lost 55-0 to to San Diego State, and then the next week lost 55-14 to to Boise State, I believe. So this is part of what makes you as a team because granted we lost those three games so handedly into our bowl game but we put up 52 points on a team that had a top five passing game in the country so I think it just shows you you've been through the bottom you've been through battles you've seen you know a a team that is as talented as Michigan whom especially after this last weekend there is no stretch of the imagination to put them in the playoff race in the playoff talk so you know when you see a team that good when you face a team that good you're a new team 53 new guys you're trying to figure out your identity I think it's absolutely huge when you could just leave a stadium like the big house with your head held high like hey We did what we could. We put up 10 points in the second half. Yes, we got blew out, but now we got Duquesne. After that, we got New Mexico State. Then we get a bye week before we go into the Mountain West Conference as conference play comes in. As a locker room, you should be able to see that if we face a team this difficult, if we were able to perform, if we were able to only do one penalty, no turnovers, have a big breakoff run, get some interior pressure from our defensive linemen, then why can't we do that when it comes to Mountain West? Why can't we do that against a San Diego State, a Fresno State, a San Jose State? So I think that's the biggest benefit you get is just seeing a team that is so talented naturally, knowing what's going to happen, having to fight that battle, but making it through all four quarters with your chin held high. I think it's absolutely the biggest benefit you could take care or you could take from that. And having a mantra like the brotherhood, I think that's absolutely perfect. Hey, you got to walk in together with your band of brothers. Everybody wearing your jersey has the same mission. They feel the same way and they're going to experience the same loss. But if we have that camaraderie as a team to say, hey, we're going to go in here and give it everything we got, it may not work everything you got against Michigan. But if you give everything you got with no mistakes against San Diego, you might be talking about a W. Against Wyoming, you might be talking about a W. San Jose State, you might be talking about a W. So, yes, you were outgunned this one. You were outweighed, outmatched everything Michigan just had better. Even if Michigan had absolutely no plan with the talent they got, They probably still would have won this game. But as the team that's on the opposing side, I think walking into a big house, 110,000, 110,000 strong and leaving with your head held high. I think that's the biggest benefit you could take. And that's what we did in 2016 to take additional lumps after that, like I mentioned earlier, and still have the wherewithal to fight through all of those barely won games that we had in 2016 because we barely won and then finish it off with a big performance in a bowl game that sent a lot of us out with our first winning season in our entire careers. Now, of course, social media, the loveliest place in the world, right? And so I'm, I'm looking right. at some of the comments uh, uh, regarding this University of Hawaii loss to Michigan, 56 to 10 in Ann Arbor. And, you know, and, and some of the, the narrative is like, oh, well, 
it would have been way worse if Michigan kept their starters in and, and, uh, Oh, well, Hawaii scored their touchdown against the second stringers. Um, but with that being said, do you think that there is a confidence that the university of Hawaii can walk away with in understanding that Michigan's second team there in the second half, probably one of the most talented Mountain West conference teams that there is, right? That you take all those exactly. guys and yes, you play yes, yes. those guys up against Wyoming or Colorado State or Nevada, and you're probably looking at a blowout and Michigan winning that game too, right? And so can they walk away? I mean, because that's something that the 2016 team wasn't able to do, wasn't able to score a touchdown, wasn't able to really move downfield and create big drives wasn't able to uh, have a, a handful of tackle for losses. And so those situations, those type of little benchmarks that the university of Hawaii was able to do in the second half, um, can they walk away feeling confident as far as like, okay, yeah. Roman Wilson burnt the university of Hawaii multiple times. Every time he touched the ball, I mean, there was no stopping him, but just even having seen it with their own eyes, does that, prepare them for the teams that they're going to be playing here moving forward? Uh, most definitely. I mean, a hundred percent. I doubt you will see many other Roman Wilsons in the Mountain West Conference. That is a kid that has been, you know, trailblazing since he was wearing the St. Louis Crusaders blue in Aloha Stadium. But when you see that type of talent, when you deal with it, I think it just helps because as much as you don't want to just come out and say it, you kind of already said it with the whole second team analogy. There's no Michigan in the Mountain West. There just isn't. You're not going to face that type of talent again. You're not going to see that type of offensive line again. You're not going to see that type of skill set again. So knowing that you faced it, knowing that you dealt with it, as ugly as it may have been, I think that's just a part of the game. And now going into a San Diego State, like I said earlier, or facing a team like you got next week in Duquesne, watching a player like Warman Wilson, watching a quarterback like J.J. McCarthy, even dealing with a coach like Jim Harbaugh as, you know, Timmy Chang had to face off against somebody that good. It, it can't do anything but help you going in the future because, like I said, you face better teams. It's going to be easier when you start to face your Mountain West opponents. Now, uh Going back to the running game, which uh, I was going to talk about before I interrupted myself when we started talking about a whole nother thing. Uh, you look at Tylen Hines, obviously had the moment of the game here for the Rainbow Warriors as he goes 54 yards on a touchdown against the Wolverines. Um, Diedrich Parson averaged just about uh, over two yards per carry. He was the primary back there early in the game. Um, uh, Jordan Johnson uh, played in the second half and he was able to get five yards per carry. And, and so when you look at this running game, when you look at the offensive line, obviously there's room for improvement. Um, but I think it's safe to say in the early part of this 0-3 start for the University of Hawaii football team, uh, the passing game has not been able to generate consistent movement upfield. Uh, the running game has been relied upon a lot. And, and you have to imagine that teams are looking at the running game saying like, okay, we're going to have to stop that because the passing game is not going to beat us yet still able to get their yardage. Um, what were your thoughts on, on the running game on the, the run protection here by the offensive line and what the possibilities are moving forward now that you have a stable of running backs that have all shown at one part or another here in this season that they can run the rock. Uh, just real quick to add to my last answer, because it was actually a point I wanted to put out there. We lost 63 to three 
against Michigan in 2016, that same year, they beat Rutgers in their own conference 78 to zero. So somebody in the power five got beat worse in the Mountain West in connection to what you were just talking about. Michigan is going to hold a lot of teams to less than four yards per carry this year. So I think that speaks volumes to what this offensive line has done, returning 110 starts. Il Manning has been playing almost a little bit possessed, and you know I like really hone in on that offensive line. I really like the energy he's bringing, Aliki Tanavasa and his awareness. And this offensive line coming in, you knew they were going to be the strength, but when you get four-plus against a team like Michigan, I think that's showing, hey, this is a team you're going to have to stop with that run. You might have to load the box. You might have to get seven or eight men in the box. You might have to sacrifice some extra DBs. You might have to do some extra things to stop this Hawaii offensive running game that, as we've seen the other night, has more than just Dedrick Parson and Najee Bryant. There's also Tyler Hines. There's also Jordan Johnson. So I think this offensive line has stepped up to the plate when you lose 53 guys, or not lose, except excuse me, add 53 new guys, lose all the talent that you did lose last year, including a starting quarterback, including a starting running back, including your number one wide receiver, and return knowing that, hey, the weight's going to have to be on our shoulders. You got to tip your hat. I, I give much credit to that offensive line for going in the big house and opening up the running lanes that they did, and they just got to know going forward, that's going to be a dependency of you guys. There's Coach Timmy Chang, when games get close, when times get rough, that offensive line and those running backs are going to have to know, hey, it might be our time to just take this game over. We know that they're going to stop the run. We know that they're going to try to stop the run. But with what we've seen already facing a team like Michigan and getting over four yards a pop, there's no reason that if we put it in our minds and understand our playbook, we shouldn't be able to run against any team we face for the remainder of the season. And if I'm a quarterback, if I'm a wide receiver, if I'm anybody in the passing game, I'm seeing this and I'm thinking to myself, hey, we're going to start getting one-on-ones eventually. We're going to start getting a lot of loaded boxes, a lot of people trying to stop this offensive line with all this experience, stop Dedrick Parson and Najee Bryant, especially on a game where you get both of those running backs humming. You start getting those one-on-one matchups outside and I'm a quarterback. Hey, I got to lick my chops and know it's my time to step up. So not only is the running game showing itself as a strength and it's probably going to be the main thing defensive coordinators harp on but as the season goes if that running game can continue to go up even more then what's that's going to set up for the passing game can be a second part of this offense that may just have to be broke open that way but so far so good for this offensive line for these running backs and I'm excited to see once they start playing Mountain West opponents and you know the Duquesne and New Mexico states what type of yards they're going to be able to put on the ground. Let's talk about this University of Hawaii defense, who obviously gives up over 580 yards of offense to Michigan. But when you look at it, um, a lot of the yardage that Michigan put up, and especially a lot of the explosive plays that Michigan was able to put on the University of Hawaii, it came down to speed. It came down to athleticism. Uh, there, you see a, a big drop-off in regards to week one against Vanderbilt. And then last week against Western Kentucky and or two weeks ago, and then this past weekend against Michigan, as far as missed tackles, as far as blown assignments, as far as 
uh, situations where University of Hawaii could have made the play, um, but it was more mental than physical that didn't allow them to make the play. Um, what did you see out of this defense against Michigan, uh, whether it's at the defensive line, getting their first two sacks, whether it's Panay Pavihi being able to make some plays, whether um, it's Kaulana Makaula playing really for the first time this season and probably delivering the two to three biggest hits of the year for the University of Hawaii. Meki Pei from the Pac-12 Conference, a transfer from Washington, able to get into the game. What did you see out of this defense um, that, that gives you some optimism moving forward? Uh, just the potential. You know, a lot of those names you named, Kaulana Makaula, uh, even, you know, guys like Matangi Thompson that has stepped up and, you know, as a young kid as a young buck got into that big house and you know did what he could I, I think you just you see the potential of once they get to like I said more even matched opponents you see the opportunities that this defense can present and then when you see a guy like Verdell Edwards you know we were already watching him before the season started being a big tall long DB being able to get his own pick at the big house makes you wonder how many more picks is he going to get in the Mountain West. Panay Pavihi was dogged. I mean, Isaiah Tufunga, they are dogged. They are absolutely shredded after the first half because they've had to be out there so long. They've had to deal with all of these athletes. But once you get to offenses that aren't Michigan talent level, I think there's the potential showing, especially in the youth. Like I said, guys like, you know, um, Peter Manuma, guys like Ty Marsh, you know, these are young guys that are getting experience early. And I think potentially, you know, going forward and especially in the years to come, if you can keep them together, if you can keep them out of the transfer portal going forward, this defense can step up and, you know, really start to get some good games. I just think they were a little bit outgunned and outmanned in the Michigan game. I think they were a little bit gassed 42 points in the first half and not, you know, the deepest rotation, you got to keep a lot of your ones out there. So I think that maybe showed in especially the score and how tired they were on some plays. But I think once you start to get into these even killed, evenly matched games, having two solid linebackers like Panay Pavihi, Isaiah Tufunga, having a big hitter DB like Kaulana Makala and having a man-on-man -man guy that you can trust like Verdell Edwards, that's going to have to help you in the long run. And I think facing a team as talented naturally and in scheme as Michigan was, that's going to help coming into this Mountain West play that's almost right around the corner. All right, looking ahead now to the rest of the University of Hawaii football schedule as the Rainbow Warriors are 0-3. Head coach Timmy Chang still searching for that first victory of his head coaching career. And you look at the Bows returning home this week, hosting FCS member Duquesne. And it's funny when you think about it because the University of Hawaii just went up and they played in front of 100,000 in attendance in Ann Arbor, right? Has to be the biggest discrepancy in college football history as far as one week playing in front of 100,000 and the next week playing in front of 9,000 at the Clarence T.C. Ching Athletics Complex. But with that being said, and correct me if I'm wrong, all right? And you can tell me I'm, I'm, I'm off my rocker, but I get a sense that the butterflies, the anxiety, the stress heading into the Duquesne game is bigger than it was against Michigan because yeah, you're going up against Michigan. A lot of people are watching and this is a crazy, you know, iconic venue and this is a once in a lifetime uh, experience and opportunity. But when you go up against Duquesne, I mean, this is it. This is like your chance to prove who you are. 
this is your chance to say, hey, it's not all that bad. You know, we lost to an SEC team, to a Big Ten team, to a Western Kentucky team that's humming, that was probably the equivalent of the University of Hawaii when Nick Rolovich was the head coach, where you got your guys, you're in multiple recruiting classes, you're going to bowl games, you're accomplishing all these things, but now you're playing an FCS team. Now you're going up against Duquesne. If you struggle against the Dukes, you lose this game. That is a world of trouble for the fan base, that it's a world of trouble for the confidence of this football team. And so, RJ, is, is there any reality to that, that the anxiety heading into this game is bigger than going up against the fourth-ranked team in the country? Um, I may not use the word anxiety because they might be confident. I don't know the feeling. But I will definitely agree with you everywhere and just maybe put instead of anxiety, pressure, anxiety Uh. or pressure, either or. Because at the end of the day, you may not be nervous to go out there and lose this game like, oh, this Duquesne, we got it. No problem. But I'm telling you, just like you just said, you lose to an FCS opponent at home while those people got to sit in them hot seats and have already been two years removed from Aloha Stadium, and there's already been all this turmoil, and Brotherhood is yet to get their first win on the board, and now you have an FCS opponent coming in to T.C. Ching to face off against you when you've already had this 0-3 start. Every excuse is now out of the window as to why you should not win this. Yeah, as to why you should not win this game. So I'm right there with you, Rob. I, I feel like a loss to Duquesne, I feel like, not the best performance against Duquesne. And now you might have to get into panic mode. Now you might have to start. I mean, I don't know. We might have to start bringing different types of conversation to Bo's football final just to keep people entertained. Because I'm telling you right now, come next week, if Duquesne leaves here with a great performance or leaves here even worse with a W, I can only imagine what those mailbox questions will be like. I can only imagine what the pressure will be like. So. They may not have anxiety in the locker room because of the confidence that they believe they can just go out here and beat this FCS opponent, but they better make no mistake of mistaking Duquesne for somebody that you can just walk over and then letting them sneak out of TC Ching with a victory. Because if that happens, then I I don't know if there's much more that could be done to save this season because this will be the easiest opponent you have to face at home. And if you can't get a victory out of that, oh no, I'm getting a little anxious just thinking about it. So, <laughs> See, I told you, man, there's anxiety. anxiety pressure is right there in that mix. I'm right there with you, Rob. There's a 100% reality that even though this is an FCS opponent, UH needs this one. You're 0-3. This is a home game that should – you know, let's just be honest here, almost be a gimme as far as getting a win. Now, I don't think you go out there and go 42 to 7, no problem, or just absolutely blow them out of the water. But at the end of the day, a lot of fans will be beyond disappointed if this game ends and Duquesne is the team in the win column. Yeah, absolutely, man. I I mean, it's a prospect as far as you got to take care of business this week because I feel like the fan base, they – 
they're, you know, obviously not happy with three blowout losses at the end of the day. You know, when you look at the scores, 63-10, 49-17, and 56-10, I mean, those are three blowout losses, no matter yeah. how it got there. Um, and, and But then when you have Duquesne and New Mexico State coming up, if you're not able to show something and put something onto the field, you know, there's a whole long season ahead. And so that's what people are searching for. And that's what people are are hoping that the, that the Bows can obtain this weekend is that regain the attention, regain the focus as far as it's a long season. And now there's two ways to say that, right? It's a long season, right? 0-3, there's still a lot of football to be played. But if you lose to Duquesne, then now all of a sudden it's, it's a long season. There is so much left of this season. When this will 2023 get here? This can't happen soon enough. And so it's a big game for the Rainbow Warriors. And, you know, it's interesting when you look at the schedule at the beginning of the year and you see FCS member that's never really circled as like, this is a huge game. But, you know, honestly, this is the biggest game of the Timmy Chang era to this point, because it's the first time that you're entering a game as the favorite is the first time that you're entering a game with people expecting you to win and you got to take care of business. And if you don't, then then I mean, then you're going to be catching a lot of cracks here moving forward. Oh, yes, most definitely. And you just said it, Rob. Social media is the best place on earth. I can can only imagine how great people are going to become if the Brotherhood starts off 0-4 and and the fourth loss is to an FCS opponent. I don't know if there's going to be enough spam blocker on your respective devices to stop the questions that will be pouring in. And even more so, you lose to an FCS opponent at home, I find it very difficult to believe you will get another sold-out crowd for the rest of the season because if you can't beat Duquesne, I don't think anybody's going to be convinced you can beat Nevada or Wyoming or Utah State or UNLV, whom all are going to come to T.C. Ching just like Duquesne. So, you know, this, this is a huge one for the brotherhood. This is about as big as it gets, like you said. You don't usually circle or underline FCS opponents, but I say circle, underline, italicize, A, visualize, and attack. We got to do everything we can to make sure that Duquesne hops back on their plane the same way they came, and that is not beating the University of Hawaii. All right, it's a big game on Saturday, 6 o'clock kickoff against the Duquesne Dukes, FCS member at the Clarence T.C. Ching Athletics Complex. That game will be televised on Spectrum Sports Pay-Per-View, Radio ESPN, Honolulu. All right, real quickly, let's get to the Bose Football Final mailbox and get a couple of these in before we got to bounce here on Bose Football Final. And the first question comes from Walter. And uh, and it's a simple question, and I know where he's coming from with this question, and it's because of the off-season drama that had to do with June Jones and Timmy Chang as far as June Jones being uh, one of the fan favorites to getting the head coaching job that was job that was left vacant after Todd Graham left the program. Um, the University of Hawaii and June Jones not being able to see eye to eye uh, is maybe putting it in the simplest terms as possible. And, and therefore, the Rainbow Warriors uh, choose Timmy Chang as the head coach of this program moving forward. And Walter just wants to know, what's the difference between 1999 and 2022? Why was June Jones able to go from 0-12 to 9-4 in his first season? And Timmy Chang is 0-3 here to start the year. and um, I'm going to give you a chance, obviously, RJ, to answer this. But one thing that I uh, I want to throw out there immediately 
um, as far as the difference. And this is no knock on June Jones and not being able to say that he wouldn't be able to do spectacular things again in 2022 if given the chance. Um, but you got to remember is that June Jones came into the program in 1999 and Jeff Ulbrich was on the team. Adrian Clem was on the team. Avion Weaver was on the team. Dwight Carter was on the team. I mean, you had NFL football players on this football team that Fred Von Oppen wasn't able to use properly and right. June Jones was able to use properly and was able to, to go nine and four Quincy LeJay, another player that was on the team at the time. I mean, the absolute studs that they went out and won the Western athletic conference title with, then you got to remember is all those guys, all those guys that I named, right. All those guys who went to the national football league, whether it was long careers, like a Jeff Ulbrich and Adrian Clem, or shorter careers like a Dwight Carter. I mean, they all went into the NFL. When they left the program in 99, you then had your first rebuild with June Jones in 2000, where he had to replace a lot of guys. And in 2000, that team went three and nine and lost their first game of the season, 45 to 20 to FCS member Portland State. And so that's, if you want to compare I think that's a little bit more of a comparison as far as 2000 is a little more like 2022 mm -hmm. um, because of the production that you had to replace. Timmy Chan got here, and uh, I think everyone would agree that if Corey Bethley, Darius Musau, Shevin Cordero, Nick Mardner, Cameron Lockridge, I mean, those guys are on the football field, Jonah Laulu, then maybe you're looking at a different 2022 here, but that's not the reality of the situation. Again, not a Timmy Chang apologist. Again, not a June Jones hater. The question <laughs> is, what's the difference? That's the difference in my eyes. Yeah. I do I do I still need to answer or because I <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I even need to answer no more. And oddly enough, you know, I had some some statements myself. I thought you were gonna take all my facts. So you know, you smart like that. So I just gotta be on my toes. But another thing, you know that I will put out there is like you said, if June Jones is here, the talent that he has is the same talent Timmy Chang has. And I don't believe even as great of a mind as he was, you would be able to put something that's going to help you beat one of these three teams because one is an sec opponent that you did not face in your 1999 year. You did lose to USC starting in 1999. Then you won the next four, but of those four, no sec opponents, no top 10 opponents like Timmy Chang had to face. And then not too many opponents that were just clicking. Granted, he did start four and one, but there has to be an understanding that in 1999, there also wasn't the transfer portal. So Timmy Chang walked into a team that was truly depleted and there was nowhere for him to pull talent from because they're already going elsewhere. When June Jones showed up, like you mentioned, he had talent that was already stuck there and couldn't go anywhere. So when you have that kind of stacked against you, I think it's hard to look and just say, oh, if June Jones would have been out there, he would have been able to, you know, win these games. Maybe you're looking at a different score, but with this same roster, with this same team, June Jones is 0-3, Nick Rolovich is 0-3. God rest his soul, I think Dick Tomey's even 0-3 with this team, with this roster facing these mountains the sec opponent quarterback mike wright is still making noise over in the sec people are still worried about him coming in the conference western kentucky has been clicking for years and if you go back and look at their history you would see 
quite a few nine and 10 win seasons in the past couple seasons. And then Michigan, Michigan kind of speaks for itself. So, you know, look at the games that you're talking about before you want to be that quick to make a comparison. Would there be a score difference? Possibly if you run a different offense, but even then, I don't know, because you still got these same quarterbacks. You still have the same talent. So do I think June Jones would have did different? Obviously, because him and Timmy Chang are different people, but I don't think it would be a different record. And I think the outlook would be the exact same that it is right now, that Duquesne would be June Jones' first opportunity to get a win for his new team. You know, one thing I want to add is, is that, uh, you know, one difference um, that, that would have taken place uh, if it was June Jones as the head coach of this program is the fact that they'd be running the run and shoot. And I know a lot of people, uh, you know, they the state of Hawaii is obsessed with the run and shoot and for good reason. I mean, there has been a lot of success in this program. You've seen a lot of local talent succeed because of that offense. And, and you saw it now in, in, in two examples as far as. June Jones doing what he was able to do and the Nick Rolovich being able to succeed and uh, and start with a different offense. And then in 2018, say like, all right, let, let's let's go to the bread and butter and, and to be able to um, really parlay it into getting a Pac-12 job uh, going to Washington State. And so I think that's the the big difference would be like, let's just say for argument's sake, June Jones did take this job and he is 0-3 and they lost by the same margins of uh, of the games that Timmy Chang lost. The difference is I think the fan base would be looking like, but don't worry, it's going to work. It's just, just give it time there because they're go. running the run yeah. and shoot, baby. The run yeah. and shoot, you just wait. Once they Crazy click, it, it will be like the Nick Rolovich uh, situation in his senior year where when it clicks, it clicks and and, and there's no looking back. And, and so I think that's where Timmy Chang could have helped himself a little bit was if the offensive coordinator would say was Craig Stutzman or Brian Smith um, or Nick Rolovich, right? Like, I mean, uh, or June Jones. I mean, anyone that can run the run and shoot, it would have taken a lot of pressure. I feel like um, off of Timmy Chang, not saying that Ian Shoemaker's offense can't work and can't improve and can't get better, but it would have been a very different narrative if the offense struggled uh, in the early part of the season. And is because the run and shoot can do no wrong in the state of Hawaii. Right. People understand that it eventually works, whether if that's the case or not, whether I mean, it might not never work again, but <laughs> they believe that it will. I mean, you can go 15 straight games of losing and struggling and it's not, hey, this offense sucks because they know the offense is awesome and it's fun to watch. It will right. always be wait till they get the guys wait till this guy figures it out. And so I feel like that's probably the biggest difference in all of this is that um, there would have been a lot more allowance of offensive struggles if the offense was one that people know what it looks like, know how fun it could be when it's working. Oh, yes, most definitely. And it was the same way Nick Rolovich first year because we ran an offense similar to this one. It was a little bit more pro style. And then he would do it his second year before he branched off into the run and shoot but he waited those two years because he had to get his guys he had to get his opportunity to figure out what he needed I think it would be a little unfair to want you know Timmy Chang to just go run an offense strictly because it's what everybody loves you know when you go see who you got when you go see that you recruited tight ends the past couple years when you see that you got you know in between the tackle uh, running backs that like to touch the ball not necessarily run blockers or not necessarily catchers when you got 
wide receivers that are built for a certain offense, I think it would be, you know, a, a little juvenile just to say, hey, because it's always worked, you should do it. But I totally agree with you. And then when you have, like you said, two separate, really generations of successful run and shoot because the distance between when June Jones did it and when Nick Rolovich did it, it's about 10 years. I mean, I know people don't think it was that long, but it was a pretty big gap between June Jones and Nick Rolovich. So I think, like you said, seeing two successful generations of the same offense, Nick Rolovich both being a player of that offense, a coach of that offense, before he would become the head coach working under June Jones. I think just that whole umbrella of the glory days kind of, like you said, gives that insane amount of optimism that no matter what happens, if we're doing a run and shoot, we're going to find success. But you can't just expect a coach to be like, hey, you know, the people love run and shoot. I don't care if I got four tight ends. I'm going to do the run and shoot. You got to do what works best with the players that you got. With that being said, if the season continues to you know to to go on and they're not winning football games, I highly suggest yeah, yeah. I highly suggest you say hey, like, Jordan all right, Murray, everybody, Jordan Murray, you're out there, you're out there, run and shoot time, Jordan Murray. <laughs> uh, here's some film of Greg Salas. Do what he does, all right, you know. So, exactly. uh, but we'll see. Exactly. We'll see what happens moving forward. Uh, uh, real quickly, final question here on the Bose Football Final Mailbox. And as always, uh, after every completion of a University of Hawaii football game, feel free to find me on Twitter, uh, at Rob DeMello, K-H-O-N, on Instagram, at Rob DeMello. Shoot me a DM. Uh, you can reply in the comments to the post of the University of Hawaii football result. And on my Instagram story, after every game, I'm always uh, certain to put up uh, an option to type in questions. And... Uh, this last one comes from Aloha Maid, and it's a really interesting question as far as uh, wondering how can the University of Hawaii use Tylen Hines and Jordan Johnson without sitting Parson and Bryant Lilly? Because obviously all four are very, uh, you know, able uh, of, of taking over a game. And so, RJ, uh, your thoughts on that. Uh, Christian Shimabuku, the K2N2 Sports Digital Reporter here, he and I were talking about this very subject, and uh, he brought up a good point that where – you know, you, you don't have to sit or, or you, you don't have to worry about sitting guy. I mean, just use them all, right? Because then they're all fresh. You know that they can all play. But with that being said, can you see uh, an opportunity uh, for a bunch of these guys to be on the field at the same time? Oh, assuredly. And I mean, especially when you run those pro style offenses, you keep those type of tight ends in where you could start to do a lot of motions and stuff where now we could do fly sweeps. We could do some wildcats. We could do some reverses where, you know, we might line Detrick Parson up at a wide Z position and have him run dummy routes until we finally decide to give him the ball. Or, you know, have Chukia, or uh, Tylen Hines, excuse me, line up at the slot and give him a fly sweep, then play action off of that fly sweep to throw. So I think it's just going to take a little bit more creativity from Ian Shoemaker with the playbook that he has and figuring out, okay, my talent. How do they like to be used? What is the best way for them to work? I think when you look at Tylen Hines, he showed that track speed. So for him, you know, fly sweeps or catching him where he can get the outside zones, the pitches, the tosses, let him get in the open space and open up that track speed. I think that's the way you use him. Des Bryant or Des Bryant. Des, they could use Des Bryant. <laughs> <laughs> Put him out there. Des Parson and Najee Bryant, excuse me. Dedrick Parson, Najee Bryant are two kind of in between the tackle runners. They almost run pretty similarly. So anything downhill, anything, you know, you can still run that fly motion and bring it downhill. But like you said, I think it's going to be a little bit of being able to give everybody the ball in their best element. You can't 
just put them all in the same running back position and expect them all to run the same thing the same way. And I think that kind of helps Ian Shoemaker where now I don't have to worry about having four in between the tackle running backs or four downhill running backs. You got four guys that have, you know, pretty different skill sets. I think, you know, Najee Bryan and Dedrick Parson are pretty similar. That's why they're the one and two at this point. But when you figure out that skill set and you get a little bit more creativity to open up that playbook, I think you'll find ways to be able to give these guys the ball. And then, like you said, when they're all fresh, I mean, it becomes a way bigger threat because now maybe Dedrick Parson goes into the second half only touching the ball six or seven times. And then we need him to touch it, you know, 10 times in the second half. That's going to be no problem. Or we get to the point where we got them truly guessing. And while they're watching this crazy, elaborate running scheme, we got to get it to all four of our running back guys it opens up that pass game. But it's all going to be back to the creativity of Ian Shoemaker and being able to just identify what talent he has and find ways to give them the ball in their most advantageous position and whatever it is that best benefits the skill set of whomever you're going to give the ball to. A lot of question marks moving forward. Will Braden Shager be back? Will he be able to work through this undisclosed injury to get back on the football field against Duquesne as the starting quarterback? And then, of course, the biggest question of them all is, can the University of Hawaii football team win a football game as they go up against a Duquesne team from the FCS in which the Rainbow Warriors are favored to win for the first time all season long? Six o'clock kickoff on Saturday against the Dukes. It will be televised on Spectrum Sports Pay-Per-View Radio on ESPN Honolulu. We will be back here on Monday to talk about what went down, the anxiety and stress-filled game that is the Bose <laughs> and Duquesne at the Clarence T.C. Ching Athletics Complex. But that does it for us this week here on Bose Football Final. R.J. Hollis, much mahalo for joining us. We'll catch you next week. We'll catch all of you next week here on Bose Football Final every Monday morning, 8.08 a.m. at khon2.com and anywhere you download podcasts. Have a great week, everybody. Aloha. <laughs>